From the great state of Ohio, Buckeye Firearms Association presents Keep and Bear Radio, fighting for Second Amendment rights, calling out media lies, and telling the gun grabbers to come and take it. Now, Keep and Bear Radio. So we just finished up a crazy year here in Ohio. 2020 could not have been more insane. But we did get some bills passed, including the duty to retreat and a knife bill, which sort of flew under the radar. But, you know, that was a good thing as well. The question is, what's coming up next in the new legislative session in Ohio? I'm Dean Reek, Executive Director of Buckeye Firearms Association, and I'm joined once again by Rob Sexton, BFA's Legislative Affairs Director Rob, how you doing? I'm good, Dean. How are you? I'm I'm doing well. As we're recording this, it's 2021. It's no longer 2020, so uh, it's it's got to be better, right? I mean, it, I, how could it be worse? I'm I'm afraid to say that, though. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I think all of us had the idea that December 31st at midnight, all the crazy crap would be done. So far. I don't think that's proven to be true, but I'm, I'm still holding out hope, right? There's nowhere to go but up. I, you know, I remember when the whole thing started at the beginning of 2020, and, and they were saying, you know, we're just going to flatten the curve. It'll just be a few weeks. Honestly, scouts, scouts honor, it's just going to be a few weeks. <laughs> and then here we are, a, you know, a year later almost, and it's still going. Yeah. So, and it's screwed up so much, including what we were doing. Uh, BFA had to cancel events. It affected legislation. It affected everything in Ohio. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's just been crazy. But, you know, here we are, and we're ready to start another two-year session. Are you ready to go again? Oh, yeah. Yeah, in fact, I, I have a lot of enthusiasm for this session that's upcoming. I'm hopeful that, as you mentioned, that uh, the, the COVID restrictions will begin to ease at some point during this year. And you know, last year was it was tough to do business down at the state house because you couldn't always get access to legislators the way that you normally can. But uh, you know, we persevered, and and I feel like a lot of this stuff is going to loosen up this year, and I've, we've got some opportunities to get some good stuff done if we jump on it right off the bat. And that's certainly our intention. So, has everything started down there? I mean, what what's going on at the state house? Are they already introducing bills, or you know, where where are we at the state house right now? You know, so they the. The new legislators have been sworn in. We, we actually have a new leader in the uh, Ohio Senate. You know, uh, Larry Opoff has retired. He was term limited out. He was replaced by Senator Matt Huffman from Lima. Of course, uh, Huffman's been there for a while, and uh, he's now the new Senate president, and he released his choices for committee chairmanships. So we now know who will shepherd bills through the Senate, the folks that we're going to have to deal with. And then over in the House... Speaker Bob Cup, who of course was elected by his peers to serve out the 2020 term uh, after that position became vacated when Speaker Householder was forced out of the chair, Cup has now been reelected to a full term as Speaker. So bills are being introduced. I would expect that that process to pick up briskly. So things are just about to take off. So uh, what happens next? I mean, all the committee's uh, assignments are made committee chairs, everything's ready to go. When, when do bills start being introduced? Well, I, I think they're already being done. Uh, as far as, you know, when they start being heard, my, my gut says you'll start seeing uh, 
hearings probably sometime in mid-February. That remains to be seen. Of course, this is an odd-numbered year. So the state has to pass its spending budget, what they call the biennial budget. Uh, It has to be done by June 30th. So the governor will introduce his brand-new budget sometime early in the year, and then the House uh, must deal with it first before it goes to the Senate. So that'll take up a lot of uh, their discussion. Of course, they've got to balance. The, you know, the state of Ohio is not like the federal government when they can just uh, run up a giant credit card bill. The state of Ohio must balance. And so you know, they've got their work cut out for them as tax receipts uh, were much lower. People weren't, you know, the economic Im- activity in Ohio was much lower due to COVID. And I think I just read yesterday that gas receipts were, were way down. Of course, that's how road construction is funded. So the legislature has, as usual, plenty of crises on their hands to deal with. So what, what are we having co- coming up? I mean, uh, in the last session, things were crazy there at the end, but we did get the duty to retreat bill passed. So we repealed duty to retreat. There was also a knife bill that got passed. Right. And a lot of people probably forget because it seems like it's been a thousand years, but we were having trouble with sheriffs in in 2020 closing down. Yes. Uh, and then we actually worked with them to open up the offices and pass two separate bills to extend the expiration date on concealed handgun licenses. Right. So despite it being a nutty year, we did get some things accomplished. What do we have coming up next? I mean, what what are our legislative priorities? Where are we going in this next two-year session? Yeah, so, you know, we've got two major priorities for this session that's now underway, this two-year session that's underway. And I think first and foremost for us, this is the session in which we need to pass a constitutional carry bill. This is the time to get it done. And and why is that? Why do we need to get that done right now? I mean, I, I get... We got the duty to retreat off the table, right? So we don't have to uh, capture that same ground again. Constitutional carry, it, it's a priority. It, we've always wanted to get that passed. What is happening right now that makes that such a priority? So, you know, I think a lot of folks don't spend their time keeping a close eye on the politics of how Ohio functions. But Ohio, every 10 years, it redraws its legislative lines, so the way, you know, the way that districts are made up, the way that a Senate district or a House district is made up. And for decades, that process has been controlled based on who, which party controls the politics of the state of Ohio. They have this body called the Apportionment Board. It's made up of five different individuals, uh, the governor, the secretary of state, the auditor of state, and then one representative from the Senate, one representative from the House. The five of them then make up this apportionment board, and they draw the lines. And whoever has control of the apportionment board, whichever party, ultimately that determines the control of the legislature. So the Republicans have had control of the apportionment board since 1990. So the law, the lines in which elected officials ran on in the 90s, the 2000s, and the 2010s, those have all been Republican-drawn lines. Inexplicably, in my view, the Republicans voted two sessions ago to give up some of that authority. They've they've actually created a, a commission that is supposed to function in some sort of nonpartisan fashion to redraw the lines. And, and so when you've had for 30 solid years a system in which your party has drawn the lines, obviously you've drawn them to the best advantage you possibly can. And and frankly, 
from the point of view of gun owners, the best lines that we could have. So for the first time since 1990, the lines that determine legislative districts will be drawn in a less partisan fashion. And so right now, you know, you've got 64 members from the Republican Party in the House. You know, we've got a far exceeding supermajority in the Senate. When they're done drawing, quote, fair, unquote, lines, are we going to have that kind of uh, uh, dominance by the Republicans in uh, the the next session, the 2023-24 session? I, I don't think we know the answer to that. But if it's you know, if the House suddenly becomes 58 Republicans, if the Senate suddenly becomes 19 Republicans, it's a lot harder at that point to get done major legislation, especially legislation that is opposed by the anti-gun lobby. And constitutional carry, let's face it, that is, that's the holy grail for us, and it would be the scorched earth battle for the anti-gun forces. So if there's ever a time when that bill should be prioritized, it's this session right now. This is the time to get it done. With the uh, redistricting, does this throw more power to the cities? Because we find in Ohio, like in a lot of states, that the real battle, it's not necessarily just Republican versus Democrat. It's urban areas versus rural and suburban areas. So, uh, you know, is that is that what the redistricting could do? Sure, yeah, and I think that's a good point you make. You know, we, I think I just fell into the same pattern that many of our uh, fellow gun owners fall into, which is, you know, everything's great with Republicans, everything's bad with Democrats. That's mostly true. Let's be honest. I mean, you know, the Republicans tend to be more supportive. The Democrats tend to be much less supportive. But when you look on a map, you know, if a district is in rural areas, then that legislator tends to be much more supportive of issues like ours. So I think that's part of it for sure. And I think, you know, the Democrats will look to break up the cities a little bit in terms of the districts. Now, right now, the Democratic legislators are all packed into the, into the cities, which leaves the suburbs and the rural areas much more heavily influenced by the Republicans, and that's why they've got so many seats. If this nonpartisan body winds up uh, uh, moving forward with legislative districts that are uh, more middle-of-the-road, then we can expect a more middle-of-the-road legislature. And, you know, let's face it, middle-of-the-road is defined uh, as a lot tougher environment for pro-gun issues. So now is the time for constitutional carry yes. uh, while the old uh, districting is still in place. That's what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Because see that this new commission will redraw the lines this term, 21 and 22, is the, that's when their work will be done. So the first time that the new lines will be in place down at the state house will be the 2023 legislature. That's when it'll be a new world. And of course, I hope that it's not a way different world but the fact is, it's being done differently for the first time in, in decades, and so we can't afford to find that out without doing our best to get constitutional carry done this session. So other than constitutional carry, what else are we going to be looking at uh, in terms of priorities? Yeah, so our, our second highest priority is a bill that we began working on uh, last year, around mid-year. Uh, Buckeye Firearms Association teamed up with the National Rifle Association and the National Shooting Sports Foundation to put together a bill that we're calling the Emergency Powers Bill. Now, for a lot of folks may not be familiar with National Shooting Sports Foundation, that is the trade association for the firearms and ammunition industry. So great partners, obviously, to gun owners. The Emergency Powers Bill would clarify where 
the government's authority begins and ends when it comes to their ability to declare an emergency and how it impacts the rights of firearms uh, owners, how it affects access to shooting ranges, how it affects uh, your right to carry, uh, how it affects your right to hunt. It would just clarify it. Now, I want to be clear. This bill was not conceived because the current government did a bad job on these issues. In, in, In point of fact, other than a few small glitches this past March when the COVID shutdowns began across the country, Ohio was really, really just not impacted on a gun rights level by very much that was done at all. You know, Mike DeWine as governor stayed away from those issues that we saw the governor of Michigan doing. I mean, she really, you know, she really seized her power and really stuck it to a lot of folks. Uh, DeWine was much more measured in his approach to COVID restrictions. Having said that, uh, we don't know what kind of governor we're going to have five years, 10 years, 15 years from now. So what the COVID epidemic did was show us the power that governors have all over the country and and open our eyes to, gosh, we need to make sure that that cannot happen here. Because if there's one thing we know about politicians, uh, you know, you get the wrong person in office and and they'll begin to curtail rights. So the emergency powers bill is meant to define the boundaries for what an elected official could do in the case of an emergency. So we're talking about, like in other states, for example, we saw gun stores close down. We saw gun training close down. We saw ranges close down. We saw, you know, basically people could not exercise their rights. Uh, We temporarily, in maybe a dozen sheriff's offices here in Ohio, we saw them shut down and stop processing licenses. But... In other states, what we saw was just the wholesale collapse of the ability to exercise your rights. Yes. And, and if you wanted to start out, like to buy a gun or to get a license or whatever, you, you just couldn't do that. And at the same time, in 2020, there was this gigantic spike. Millions of brand new gun owners started wanting to take classes, right? get a carry license and so on. And it didn't help that in the summer, there were all these riots. So people were freaked out about covid then they were freaked out with what they were seeing in some of these states where you had riots and looting and murders and all of this happening. And uh, so so our plan is we want to nip this in the bud, make sure that this never could happen in Ohio. We're, we're kind of used to Republican control here. So even though things aren't perfect, generally we wouldn't expect it to happen, but it can. Yes. And then why wait for it to happen? This is similar to the Katrina bill that the NRA passed. Uh, if you remember the uh, the hurricane, and at a moment when people needed self-defense, there were police going around taking firearms from people uh, in, in the South, uh, and uh, it, it made no sense at all. And right. so the, the NRA passed the what they refer to as the Katrina Bill to uh, to prevent that from happening. So we're basically starting with that, trying to make it as comprehensive as possible, pass it. So that we we just we just have it so that this this is just heads it off at the pass right in in Ohio it's just and hopefully it gets passed and we f- we feel safe going forward right you know this this just would just define the boundaries that we put on our governors but you know there's a tendency to think about this in you know in COVID terms statewide your Katrina example is really on point most emergency declarations that have ever been done in Ohio and elsewhere have been regional. 
that, you know, after a tornado went through, after a flood uh, happened, you know, that kind of thing. And that's when mayors and county officials will make decisions on emergency declarations and just what those mean. And let's face it, some of the big city mayors are some of the most anti-gun people in the entire state of Ohio. So it's important, not just on a, you know, with an eye on the governor, it's important to make sure that those boundaries are defined not just for state officials, but also county and city officials. So I, I can't think of another more important item that we could be working on other than constitutional carry uh, than this emergency powers bill. And, uh, you know, I think we've got a good starting coalition on it. We're, we're, uh, we're working in coordination, of course, as I mentioned, with the NRA and with National Shooting Sports Foundation. And I expect that to be uh, a major topic uh, for the uh, gun community to deal with during this legislature. So, session. you know, and that also begs the question. I mean, every session we we have this conversation. Why does everything get pushed to the last, you know, like three minutes of the session in lame duck and everything's being dealt with all at once? We have two years. Yeah. So are, are we going to try to not let everything out, wait until that, that last month, those last few weeks, and have that kind of a train wreck. Yeah, I mean, I, we're definitely going to try. You know, it is second nature for elected officials to want to put off controversial votes. Let's face it. They, they don't want to be put on the record on something that they're going to get, you know, 35% yays and 35%, you know, betrayal calls from their constituents, you know. And, and, and some of these gun bills, they, they bring out a lot of opposition in the community and uh, the media doesn't help with the way they portray our issues. So I, I get why the, or the average politician would rather not deal with this until the last minute. They like to be in lame duck session because the election's over, you know, so it's two solid years before they have to face the voters again. On the other hand, that's how mistakes get made. I think we, we, we know of examples where the legislature has improperly drafted bills uh, that were passed at the last minute, we had to go back and fix them. It's also where there's not time to figure out, you know, what's the best bill to move and does it accomplish everything we want? So it is our priority strategy to see movement on these bills far in advance of lame duck session. In point of fact, we'd like to stay out of 2022, you know, because once once the calendar turns to 22, uh, your politicians start thinking about re-election. And then once it gets into the silly season of, of, of elections, uh, it's a lot harder to get stuff done. So I think we will we will push very hard to see movement on both constitutional carry and the emergency bill in 2021. So there were uh, some things that um, we still need to work on that did not get passed. There were a bunch of bills. And we would have liked to see many of them get passed, but some of them just didn't make it to the finish line what are some of those that we, we may have to come back and work on again? Yeah, so, I, you know, two bills come to mind of that type. The first is the issue that we would call duty to inform. You know, Ohio has a strange law. We're, we're in the minority of states in which when a police officer approaches you, you have a duty to promptly inform that officer if you're carrying. Now, the law doesn't define promptly, and as a result, we have seen a lot of different approaches to this from the point of view of law enforcement. Does promptly mean, you know, when they walk up to your car, you roll down your window and immediately take control of the conversation? Uh, does promptly mean that you inform them when they take a breath? 
you, you know, does probably mean that you don't tell them until they ask? I, I think there's a lot of different interpretations. And as a result, some gun owners have found themselves either being told by officers that they had broken the law uh, or, or perhaps even outright charged. This duty to inform puts a burden on the gun owner. When in most states, they have that obligation in the hands of the officer. So when you have an interaction with a police officer in other states that do this correctly, it's up to the officer to decide if they want to ask you if you're carrying and when they want to ask you if you're carrying. So that duty to inform law in Ohio is poorly written, poorly enforced, unequally enforced, and as a result, it needs to be fixed. We were able to get that that legislation through the House last session, but we were we're not ultimately able to get it through the Senate in time. Once again, the lame duck session we talked about, that still needs to be dealt with. There is some discussion it could be part of another bill, like maybe even constitutional carry, but I think that's yet to be worked out. So that's one that needs to definitely be done. What about this whole issue with uh, Madison schools? You know, uh, there's a court case going on on that, and you know this involves uh, teachers and administrators carrying firearms in schools. The the way that we've interpreted the law and the way that the governor has interpreted the law is that school districts get to decide what kind of security they have, who provides that security, how they do it. It's all up to the school districts. But Bloomberg literally came into the state and they've launched a lawsuit trying to prevent that from happening. Basically, the strategy is if they can get a ruling, they can just shut this down statewide, which would just remove this form of security. And uh, so there's, there's a lawsuit going on, and there was legislation. This legislation would have fixed it, but it didn't make it to the finish line. Right. It, uh, again, you know, got caught up in the lame duck rush. The sad part about the failure of that bill is that we actually put that language in three different bills and still weren't able to get it across the finish line by the time the session wrapped up. I, I don't know if everybody even knows just how important this is. You know, currently school districts can make this call. Currently school districts can be very specific with how they make it. You know, if, if they just happen to have people on hand that already have specialized training, maybe a retired police officer, maybe a, uh, you know, a former uh, member of the military with uh, MP training, for example, then they could have lesser requirements than another school district that doesn't have any of that present, right? So this really is all about the local control of them being able to decide how best to structure a school safety program. And, and what the Bloomberg folks are trying to do is uh, interpret it in terms of if you're going to carry in a school, you essentially have to be a police officer. You have to have over 700 hours of training, which makes no sense because the majority of the training that someone gets when they go through the academy is how to drive your car in a tactical fashion, how to write tickets, you know, Ohio law, uh, how to how to do all of these things that police do. Miranda rights. That has nothing to do with yeah. stopping a killer in a school. And of course, you know, this is involved with our, our foundation, which runs the Faster Saved Lives program, which is actually named in the lawsuit. And there, there are a majority of the counties in Ohio have people who have gone through this training. And I'm talking about... Ohio has 88 counties. There are maybe something like 78 counties. I'd have to confirm that number, but, you know, like the vast, vast majority of counties already have people trained. And if they get a ruling on this, it could essentially shut this down statewide, which is their goal. Absolutely. In fact, 
you know, uh, earlier you said the requirement of 700 hours of training doesn't make sense, but it does make sense to the gun grabbers. Their goal, let, let's face it, if a school teacher goes through all the education they need to become an educator, and we say, yeah, gee, if you want to carry to protect kids, you need 700 more hours of training for a job you're never going to do. You're never going to be a police officer. Do you want to do that? I mean, how many teachers are going to sign up for that? How many school districts would approve a safety plan that included that? So their lawsuit is not about making sure there's enough training. Their lawsuit is about ending the ability of a school district to allow anyone to be armed to protect our kids. And, and Dean, you, you probably know this better than I do, but the, the data about saving lives is crystal clear when, when an armed uh, assailant is confronted in a school district. You're literally going to save kids' lives if you have people in the schools that can do this. Well, that's that's why the faster program is called the faster program. You know, the the the, the more quickly that you can confront someone, regardless of how you confront them, it's it's not a matter of you you've got to be Rambo charging down the hallway and, and being all tactical <laughs> right. and all that. You know, the guys who do this in schools are not well trained. They're not looking for a fight. They're looking for a slaughter. So anybody who can confront them, you know, has a good chance of stopping uh, another slaughter. And so, you know, it, it, to me, it's just, it's repulsive that Bloomberg and, and his folks would come into Ohio. And it's literally their, their lawyers, the Bloomberg lawyers coming into Ohio, and they're behind this. Right. So um, if we can come back, you know, get a bill passed... And, and solve that issue, that's going to be a really good thing. Yeah, I think so too. Now, you know, last session, it was our goal to get the bill passed. We, we frankly just didn't want to take our chances in a courtroom. And, and why would we? You know, we, we want at the lower court level. But then we got this ridiculous ruling in the appellate court, the 12th District Appellate Court down in uh, Southwest Ohio. It's a two-to-one decision that ruled that, you know, that uh, people who want to be armed to protect our kids in a school would have to have 700 hours. So now it's in the hands of the Supreme Court. And as you say, however they decide, that's going to be law of the land. So if they uphold the appellate court, then those school safety programs that involved armed teachers or armed staff are completely uh, eliminated. It was our goal last session to pass a bill to take it out of their hands. Uh, the truth is this year it's a little different because the Supreme Court just held their first hearing on it. So practically speaking, our ability to pass a bill before they rule is probably not likely. So I think, you know, the what we call the Madison bill, just after the school district where this lawsuit is taking place, is likely on the back burner for us until the Supreme Court makes its ruling. But I would say this. If they make a bad ruling, then this bill becomes an extremely high priority. Uh, and we're fortunate in, in that not only is our interpretation that the original law was correct, that the court got it wrong, but former Attorney General, now Governor Mike DeWine, opined that we got it right. And current Attorney General Dave Yost has not, not only opined that we got it right, but he's also argued in court that our interpretation of the law is correct. So, I mean, I feel like we have a strong case, but I think everybody listening knows, you know, you hate to be in the hands of a judge, especially when their ruling could impact so many in one fell swoop. Well, um, here's fingers crossed, Rob, that uh, this legislative session is going to be productive. And uh, I'm looking forward to, to starting it. Like I said, 2020 is gone. It's got to get better. It has to. It has to get better. So uh, looking forward to working on all these things. Thanks for uh, appearing on the show again. We'll see you again. Sounds great. Thanks, Dean.
That's all for this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. If you enjoyed the podcast, I urge you to subscribe. And please subscribe to the Buckeye Firearms Association newsletter at BuckeyeFirearms.org. If you'd like to become a member and support the work of BFA, go to joinbfa.org. Use the discount code podcast to get $10 off your membership. That's joinbfa.org. We'll see you next time on Keep and Bear Radio.